Uh, nonetheless, um, this book is a great book, and I, and I think that it will be, uh, I think it'll be fruitful for us uh, as a church. I think it'll be fruitful for me personally. Uh, I'm usually preaching to myself anyway, and it usually works out in the wash. But uh, this, uh, this series is helping us, hopefully, be centered on what matters the most. Uh, here's the truth, and I, I, I gleaned this little bit of knowledge years ago uh, in, in this particular way from a guy named Louis Giglio. Louis is also a pastor, and for many years he uh, did uh, a great deal of college ministry, and uh, uh, I was doing college ministry back in the day when I was a youth pastor, and uh, you know, and, and took students to uh, events that Louis put together, and that kind of thing. Louis is just a he's a great he's a great dude who loves Jesus and loves to lead people into worship. Um, and, and one of the things that Louis did is he wrote a book called The Air I Breathe, and I looked for my copy and I couldn't find it. I probably gave it away or something. But uh, The Air I Breathe is a book uh, that is about worship itself. Uh, and it being about worship, uh, one of the things that Louis talks about in that book is that we were created to worship. We were created to worship. In other words, God designed us that we would adore something. Let that kind of sink in for just a second. And, 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 and it makes a lot of sense when we begin to understand and realize that God's design for us to adore something, for us to want to worship something uh, other than ourselves, uh, comes through in so many ways. And, and if you read Louis' book, and I highly recommend the book, we, it may even be something I talked Ben into throwing up on the shelves out there, because uh, it's a little bitty book, and man, it's, 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 it's impactful if you've never read it. Um, and uh, you know, one of the things that he's getting at in that book is that you know, for us to understand that we are always worshiping. We are always worshiping something. The question is, what? What is the object of our affection in the moment? You know, we just, we have this innate desire to always be something there on a throne in our life. Now, we're not thinking about it that way, right? We're not thinking about it that way, but, th- but that's, that's, that's how we're wired up. But God wired us up that way on purpose, but he did so that we would adore him. And the truth is, is that we put other things on that throne in our lives, and um, this uh, this series uh, will hopefully help us with centering our worship, centering what's most important in our lives, um, and and recognizing that our heart does something, which is uh, it it it's it's an idol factory. It makes idols out of things. Our our heart. You may say, "Oh, well, God, why, why would God have our hearts to do something like that?" Well, we I mean we know from Scripture that our our hearts are sinful. You know, they're dirty. That's why you know I make fun of the saying, "You know, follow your heart." You know, and uh, people put it on their walls and stuff. It used to be a big thing. It's not as big a deal anymore. Uh, people be painting it on their walls and everything. I'd be like going to their house and be like, "Follow your heart, huh? All right, sinful heart. Yeah, I like it. You know, let's follow that and see where that goes, right?" But uh, no, it, it's, it's, it's this amazing thing that God has done for us, uh, that he wants us to connect to him and he wants us to worship him. Why? 
Well, we'll talk about that. Let's, let's read Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. If you've got a Bible with you, uh, go ahead and get it out. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some ushers who have Bibles. They'll be glad to bring you one. If you don't own one, we would love for you to keep that one. Uh, and uh, just throw your hand up and let them know that you need one. Uh, but Exodus chapter 20, so second book of the Bible. You know, we don't, we don't get into that a whole lot. Um, and uh, Exodus 20, uh, we see this passage uh, that... Uh, uh, brings up, you know, vivid images of Charlton Heston and things like that. And um, we, have, uh, we have here the Ten Commandments, the beginning of the Ten Commandments. And I want to read part of this with you. I want to read verses 3 through part of verse 5. Verse 3, it says this. It says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness, or anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or, or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. My printer was running out of ink, so some of this is like hard to read, just to be honest with you. I'm just like, you know. Um, so we have we have this we have this amazing you know opening if you will to the Ten Commandments and and you know, starting right off the bat uh, God is trying to help His people uh, to understand what it looks like uh, to protect yourself yeah you know I think I think so many people have this uh, have this belief that the Bible is a set of rules that's supposed to you know you know kind of rain on your parade or something you know and, and the truth is is this exact it's, it's coming as a love letter from the Lord who created us and loves us and He cares for us so much that He wants to protect us. He's like a, he's a great, He's the best Father that there's ever been. And as a good Father who wants to protect His children, that's, that's what He sets out to do. He wants to protect us. He wants to care for us. This is important for us to understand when we read something like this because, it, you know, it, it's easy for us to go, oh, well, God's just, you know, he's just a jealous God. He is a jealous God. What? Yeah, it says it right there. Did you read it? It was right there. I'll read it again. Let's start with verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or anything, or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am, what's it say? A jealous God. I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You know, and so, you go, why is God jealous? I thought jealousy was a sin. Well, it can be. It can be. But in this particular situation, what God is trying to help us to understand is, is that He cares for us enough that He wants what's best for us. And remember, He is what's best for us. So God, being a loving God, is a jealous God because He doesn't want us to put other things before Him as idols. The minute that we put something else before Him as an idol is the minute that, that we have gone into the danger zone in our own heart and in our own lives where something is where God is not there doing what he's supposed to be doing in our lives helping us 
lead us, guide us, grow us, cultivate our hearts to look like His. So the jealous God thing is a good thing. He cares for us. He loves us. He wants what's best for us, which is Him. So, when you talk about idols, I think for most of us, when we think about idols, we, we, th- we, think, about, we think about a statue or something. We think about these physical objects. And the truth is, is that you know, those can be idols too, we, 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 and we have all kinds of modern-day versions of that. Uh, and it doesn't usually look like it's made out of gold, uh, but uh, uh, like we see so much throughout Scripture and what people are doing there. Uh, but what we do have is not just things that are tangible that we can touch and that we can hold. It's actually things oftentimes that are just in our heart. It's the object of something, maybe something that, that we've longed for, that we believe would bring us happiness. And it becomes this crazy thing in which we worship it. And you're like, well, how, Chris, how do I even know? Well, let me, let me just kind of run through some things uh, in how idols affect our hearts. I, a word that I think is worth thinking about is the word affection. What, what is getting our affection what gets our affection? That, you know, that, that, will, that will lead you down a road that I think will probably bring you to an idol. What do we find to have worth? That word worth, that's, a, that's, that's another thing. And, and, and you know, when I, when I hear worth, I can automatically go to what's, what's something worth? You know, I have a side business where I buy junk and resell it for what I think, if I think, I, if I think it's worth more than what I could buy it for and then resell it and make a little money. And that's, that's great. What's makes, what makes the world go around? You know, the, uh, one of my favorite TV shows, No Secret, I'm still watching it. Everybody else, I think, gave up on it like years ago. I'm not sure. Maybe you're here and maybe you're a fan. Gold Rush. Any Gold Rush fans? Yeah, that's what I figured. <laughs> okay. It's like, there's like one. It's like, you know, only people that want to see like big machinery or something, you know, and digging, trying to dig gold out of the ground. I don't know why I'm fascinated with this show. At this point, I'm just too invested to give up on it. They're going to have to cancel it for me to quit. You know, I mean, have you ever been there with a show? I know you have. Like, we've been there with a show, and like, you've gotten so far. I was in, I was, I, I, I saw like new episodes come up on Netflix recently of a show that I watched like the whole thing. But I remember watching that show, and like the fifth episode in, I was like, this is a terrible show. And I'm way too invested to quit. And so I watched, watched to the last episode, and I thought that was it. And then they made new episodes. I was like, I'm not touching that. But on Gold Rush, you got, you got all these different people who are gold mining and all this kind of thing. One of them was a guy, uh, King of the Klondike, Tony Beats. And uh, he's a very interesting character. And, uh, but one, one of the things that is happening, there's like this winter Gold Rush right now that uh, I've been uh, subscribing to through iTunes. Thank you. And because uh, that's how I watch those shows. Uh, and one uh, uh, with the most recent little section of shows or whatever, what it's been is it's the winter and we're getting ready for the next season and all this kind of thing. And, and Tony Beats is spending like five or six million dollars on new equipment. I mean, like, 
a bulldozer that's bigger than any bulldozer on the face of the earth. You know, I mean, just all kinds of, you know, all kinds of this stuff. And it's all because, you know, he's got this goal of we're going to do 9,000 ounces of gold this year. And of course, gold is like if you're, which I wouldn't have a clue if I wasn't watching the show, to be honest with you, but but gold is like at an all-time high. And so he's like investing millions of dollars banking on the fact that he will make even more in millions of dollars back because of something's worth. Something's worth. And therein lies the, the problem when we put something else on the throne in our lives that we have made it worth so much that we will do almost anything for it. Right? So what seemed innocent, because let's face it, most idols in our lives are actually things that are good things and our hearts have made them bad because our heart has grown affection to it that is greater than our affection for the Lord. Because when we worship the Lord and our affection is for Him, in that moment... He checks, He's able to help us check our hearts when other things come and go. doesn't mean that we can't enjoy the things of this world. Absolutely we can enjoy the things of this world. But we are called, we're called to worship Him. Keller, and I'm going to share several things from the book here, and I'll just read some of them for you or whatever. Uh, But uh, Keller talks about the difference between sorrow and despair. You know, I think, I think for us to realize that when there's something else on the throne in our lives, in our hearts, that it changes our outlook on everything. It changes our decisions on things. It makes us look at things differently. Keller talks about this difference between sorrow and and despair, and I actually got in a really great gospel conversation with some friends of mine who do not know the Lord this week about this exact thing. It was so awesome. I got to share like a whole bunch of stuff, and in the end, I'm I'm not sure if they thought it was great or not. You know, I think they did, but you know, I think they were just kind of like, "Whoa, that was a whole lot of something that we weren't looking for." Thank you for coming by, preacher. Um, it was good. I think it was good. I think the Lord's using it. I'm I'm excited about it too. Um, and and and. This idea of sorrow and despair, when, when we, you know, sorrow, Keller says, sorrow comes from losing one good thing, which hurts, but then we move on. So, you know, sorrow might come because, you know, you, you had a dog that got hit by a car or something and he died and you buried him and, you know, we hate that. Like, I, I, I'd hate to lose my dog. I love my dog, you know, but we would move on. Life would move on. You know, and, and we've had all kinds of things like that in our life. Now, that's sorrow, but despair, however, despair is inconsolable. Despair is inconsolable. It comes from losing an ultimate thing. An ultimate thing. And when we lose the ultimate source of our meaning or hope, There is no alternative sources to turn to, and it breaks our spirit. So when we make something an idol in our lives, and then it gets removed from us, and this happens, relationships, jobs, 
you know, whatever, any kind of possession you can think of. I mean, if you, if you turn it into an idol, at some point along the way, it's going to fail you in some way. It's not God. It's not consistent. It's not always there. It's not loving us. It's not caring for us. It doesn't want what's best for us. Again, usually they are good things. But our heart has turned them into ultimate things. And when we lose an ultimate thing, we're not like sorrow where we just kind of keep on, well, that's, that's, you know, cried, you know, had some tears and, you know, spent some time hugging on each other and we're going to make it through losing Fido or, you know, whatever it is in the moment. When we lose the ultimate thing, it feels like I've, I've had moments of this in my own life. I'll tell you one of them. Many years ago, um, it was time to pack up the office that Dalton uh, 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 First Baptist had allowed me to have, mainly to keep my books in and stuff, where I'd had an office from being a youth pastor, had a collection of books and all kinds of stuff that you have generally in a church office. Now I have stuff in a church office you generally wouldn't have in a church office, which is pretty awesome, I think. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, we, you know, I had all these books and stuff in there, and there came a point where they needed the office. Their church was going and doing great things, and you know, we 24 had been around, I don't know, I'm going to guess around 10 years or something, maybe even a little longer than that, and they'd allowed, they'd allowed, us to have, allowed, allowed me to have an office there for, for all that time, which is incredibly kind of them. So I have no ill against that, them or anything like that, it, but it was time for me to go ahead and get my stuff out because they needed it, and that's okay. And so, but I remember, for whatever reason, and it just, and I don't know why it hit me this way that day, I'm sure there were other things going on in my life or whatever too, but I remember going up, I'm sure there were other things going on in my life or whatever too, but I remember going up there one night to pack up the books. And I took one of the guys that works for me uh, for the side business and was paying him to help me pack up my office books and all this stuff and junk, junk that was in the office or whatever. And we go to pack all this stuff up. And we're going to take it to storage. And I remember going in there and just being completely overwhelmed with the thought that here we are, here we were all these years into starting 24, and I still couldn't even just have a place to put books. And, and, it, just, and it just overwhelmed me and I, I began to cry, and I, I had to leave, and I left him packing up stuff, and I would go into the back of the office area, they got like a little work thing back in the back, and I'd go back there, and I'd just sit down, and I just cried, and I cried, and I cried, and I'd get myself together, and I'd get back up, and because I felt bad, I'd go like help pack more books, would do that for a little while, and then I'd go back, and I'd do it again, and I did this throughout the night. And I can tell you, and of course, again, like I said, there, there are a lot, probably a lot of things going on at that moment in time in my life and in the church's life and struggles and things I was having to deal with. But at the end of the day, what had happened was I had made that and somehow tied that to some form of failure or success based upon what I had been called to do all this time. And in my heart, I had made an idol out of success and somehow in that moment was leading myself to believe that nothing I had done was successful. All because we're packing up books and taking them to storage, you know? 
That's what we do. And in those moments, it just seems like, what's the point? Why keep going on, right? We've been there. If you've ever struggled with depression, this is it. This is where that gets you. It, it, it is this feeling of the ultimate thing has been removed and there is no alternative sources to turn to. It has broken your spirit. You don't feel like you can go on. The recession. The recession. And Keller talks about this in the book. I talk about the recession in uh, marital counseling all the time. And in premarital counseling even. Uh, I, talk, I talk about the recession. You'll be like, well, why are you talking about the recession? Well, same reason that Keller talks about it, which I love that he talks about it in the book. Um, and uh, for the same reasons Keller talks about throughout the book, that CEOs and CFOs and bankers and money market people and stock market people and all, all, all of these people who were highly important and had tons of money, that when the recession hit and the bottom fell out for the economy in America, they started committing suicide. Literally, he has a list of these folks that literally shot themselves, hung themselves, killed themselves. Why? Why? Because the ultimate thing had been pulled out from underneath them. What are you going to do tomorrow if you found out you didn't have a job tomorrow? How would you cope with that? What if... What if something happened where every form of income that you had got pulled out from underneath you tomorrow? What would you do? How would you handle that moment? It, it's, it's this idea for us that when something like that comes, from, comes to us and is pulled out from us, that it hurts us so badly we don't see how we can possibly go on. And we have seen this People locally, close to us, part of our families, kids in high school and everything else. We've buried too many people, teenagers, who have made things of this world ultimate things. So tell me that this isn't quite maybe the most important thing that we could learn about our walk with the Lord. Is that we need Him. Our kids need Him. They don't need this world. They don't need to be millionaires. They don't need great houses. They need Jesus. And it's so simple. <laughs> Yet we buy into the things of here. Right? And listen, the world's watching. And whatever we're buying into, whatever, whatever they think is important to us, they're watching. They're watching us buy it. They're watching us live it. And it's a testimony of who Christ is or is not in our lives. Psalm 96 verse 4 says this. Check this out. It says, For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before them. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. 
He made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. That passage is this reminder that all of creation was made to worship God. It's all pointing to Him. It's all like big arrows going here, go here, go here, right? And for us, I think it's important for us to see this world, but not at the cost of putting them above Him. And it's because He loves us and He wants what's best for us. If we follow, and let me just throw this question, how do I know what my idols are? And of course, this is the, you've got to really be willing to, to dig on your soul here for a minute. If you're wanting to follow me down this rabbit hole, I'll just go ahead and tell you. How do I know what my idols are? Follow where you spend time. What gets your affection, your energy, your money, your loyalty? When you get to the end of that road, you will find a throne with exactly what your idol is and what you worship. The good news is, is God is right there. You know, I mean, it, it's, it'd be one thing if like we fell into that hole from time to time, which we all do. Let's just face it. We all fall into this from time to time. But if we fell into that hole from time to time and then God wasn't there when we came back, that would be bad. But that's not the case. God is still right there. He's still pursuing us and pointing us back to Him. The one worth worshiping. The one still saving. The one still loving us. Faithful to us. Even when we are not faithful to Him, steadfast is the Lord. He is always there. And He is not changing. Man, do I love that. And man, I need to be reminded of that. Because I, I, I do this too. We all do this. Johnny Cash... And I really wanted to show it. We showed it years ago during a message. I'm sure it was probably a similar message. Maybe. I don't, I don't really remember. But Johnny Cash recorded a video uh, many years ago when he was still with us. Uh, and I love Cash, if you didn't know that. And uh, uh, named, named a kid after him. Uh, but uh, um, he made a video where he recorded a song by the Nine Inch Nails uh, written by Trent Reznor. Uh, called Hurt. And if you've never seen that video, and you got a few minutes later today, I encourage you to go look at it. Go watch it. Go see what that's about. And, and just to hear him at, in his older age years talk about, sing through that song as he sets uh, in what was the museum for Johnny Cash many years ago over in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Uh, you see him literally surrounded by all this stuff, and he referred in the song, it's referred to as his empire of dirt. And he's saying, What is all this? It's nothing. But man, we make it a lot of something, don't we? I do. We do. We know we do. And let me just say something so many successful people are so unhappy. So many successful people are so unhappy. Why? It's because they're looking to fill a void. We are looking to fill a void that belongs to the Lord. And when we go down that road, it leads 
us to trying to fill it with more unhealthy things. And those things can be all kinds of stuff. And before we make it all about possessions, you know, it can be eating. You know, we'll, we'll get down that road where we have pursued the success and pursued and pursued and pursued and pursued. And we get to that point where it's not satisfying the need that we really have for the Lord that only He can fulfill. And then we're there and we're like, what else? So then we turn to other things and maybe it's, maybe it's eating or maybe it's adultery. Maybe adultery both in having affairs or maybe pornography or whatever it is. Maybe it's addiction. You name it. Like we're just looking for it and we're just desperately just picking things up that are not good for us. And then one day you wake up and you say, how did I get here? You say, Chris, how do you know? Because I've been there. I've been there. And I've counseled countless people that are there. I can't tell you how many people I counsel that once we get into it, they're like, I don't know how I got here. It really comes back to what are the things that we worship in our lives because the human heart, Keller says this, because the human heart is an idol factory. It takes good things and makes them ultimate things. We think that they bring us security, safety, and fulfillment if we can get our hands on them. But it's wrong. I'm going to read this little excerpt out of the book here, uh, if you will, where Keller uses one of my wife's favorite movies of all time, Lord of the Rings. I feel like I should read it in a voice or something, right? She loves these movies. I like these movies okay. They are really long. They're really, oh, I know all about the extended versions. You don't have to tell me. I'm not falling into that trap. So, um, Keller writes this in the book here. He says, the central plot device of the Lord of the Rings is the Dark Lord Siron's ring of power. This is the actual ring, you know, that you see in the movie, which corrupts anyone who tries to use it, however good his or her intentions the ring is what Professor Tom Shipley calls a psychic amplifier, which takes the heart's fondest desires and magnifies them to idolatrous proportions. Some good characters in the book want to liberate slaves or preserve the, their people's land or visit wrongdoers with just punishment. These are all good objectives, but the ring makes them willing to do anything to achieve them anything at all. It turns the good thing into the, an absolute that overturns every other allegiance or value. You know, that's, that's, that's sin. Like we, we know what sin looks like. We know that we're just like, we just studied through David, like, like in the middle of sin, like, and you just like, it turns into like the ultimate cover up, and one sin leads to another sin and to another sin, right? It turns a good thing into an absolute that overturns every other allegiance or value. The wearer of the ring becomes increasingly enslaved and addicted to it. For an idol is something we cannot live without. We must have it. And therefore it drives us to break rules we once honored. To harm others. And even ourselves in order to get it. Idols are spiritual addictions that lead to terrible evil in Tolkien's novel and 
in real life. Keller says, it is anything more important to you than God. It is anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Anything so essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. You will spend most of your passion and energy and emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. Whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, I, if I have that, then I feel my life has meaning. Then I know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. We've all done this. And, and, and maybe you're struggling with doing it right now. It leads me to Colossians chapter 3. And in verse 1 it says this, It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also will appear with Him. You will appear with Him in glory. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Idols control us. Since we feel we must have them, or our life is meaningless, whatever controls us, though, is our Lord. And that could even be things like pleasing others, perfectionism, being a workaholic. The difference between sorrow and despair is despair is unbearable sorrow. So what do we do? What do we do? I think we, we focus on the Lord. We do Colossians 3. Maybe, maybe this week you take Colossians 3, 1 through 5, and you just meditate on it every day. Just take that same passage every day. Just meditate it all throughout the week. Be honest with what's going on in your heart. Seek Jesus. Turn to Him. Let Him cultivate your heart the things of His kingdom. That's a different mindset than here and now. Right? The Sunday after 9-11, a pastor who I know walked out on stage at his church, and the church was packed. You know, 9-11 was on Tuesday. People had had almost a week to absorb what had happened. And he went out to a packed church, and the first words that he said were, where have you guys been? May we have a passion in our hearts and urgency in life. Not because what's happening around us, but because what is to come. The kingdom of God is to come. There should be an urgency. We should be passionate about the thought 
of leading others to Jesus. About our hearts being right with Him. About our children's hearts being right with Him. Jesus could come tomorrow. Is our work done? Have we done what God's called us to? And at the end of it, we got to let Christ be the ultimate thing. Can we make Him the ultimate thing? We can if we work out Colossians chapter 3, 1-5. through 5. Set your minds on the things above, not on the things that are on this earth. If you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior, I'm praying that you would know Him personally, that you would have a relationship with Him, that He would do a work in your heart, that you would know Him. And for us as believers today, I pray that we would be followers of Jesus that make Christ the ultimate thing. Let's pray and ask Him to do that in our lives right now. God, we, we don't want to make idols out of other things. God, we want You to be our Lord. We want You to be our Master. We want You to lead us in this life. God, You sent Your Son Jesus to die for us, shed His blood for us, that we could be forgiven, that we could have new life. Lord, I pray. I pray that we could follow You, that You would help us to do so. I pray that you would help us to see clearly what the idols are in our lives. God, I pray that there would be nothing more important than you. God, I pray that even throughout this series, Lord, that you would help open our eyes to the different things, Lord, that we may struggle with and how, Lord, you want to help us with those things. God, do that work in us that we can't do for ourselves. Thank you for your son. Thank you that he would shed his blood for us. God, I pray that we would just give you all of us. Lead us in that. Lord, for anyone here that's never trusted in you, believed in you, God, I pray that today they would believe. I pray that today they would surrender. God, do that work in them. Save them. Give them new life as you have done for us. Lord, lead us. Thank you for your faithfulness. We ask all these in your name. Amen.